be looking at the 119th Psalm again this week. Um, I'm going to do my best to take a look at seven or eight different verses here, starting in verse 105. The writer tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are a joy to my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer this morning. Father, I just pray that you come with us this morning here and to your word where your very face can be seen, where your heart is known and understood. Settle our spirits and settle our hearts, Lord. I know that there's a good many things that are going on within our body. There's a good many things that are going on within the world today. Austin, Texas, once again this morning, Father, we, we lift up all of the families affected there. Pray, Lord, that we would, in the midst of all of this crazy and chaos that's going on, all of the nonsense, Father, that we would just rest in you. Help us. Help us to remember, most especially when we become anxious, when we become worried, and when we become concerned about everything that's happening in our world today. Help us to remember the promises that you have given us. Help us to remember that as I continue to tell myself and the response that I give folks that ask, help us to remember that you still sit on your throne. No matter what happens here, no matter what happens there, in fact, you still sit on your throne. You are still sovereign over the affairs of all of humanity. Your heart breaks when our heart breaks for things such as Austin and Paris and Munich, Germany, and all of the other places around this world, Lord, where humanity has become so devalued that we are just pawns in in games that seem to be played, where life is of no little value to anybody involved. Humble us, Lord, before your throne and help us to be in prayer for our country, our leaders. For all of the leaders who sit on thrones throughout this world, who lead governments throughout this world. If we're going to be your people for your world in this time, draw us to your word. Help us to understand that we have an anchor, that we are deeply and firmly rooted in an unchanging story that says that because Jesus of Nazareth walked out of the tomb, and he is seated at your right hand, there will be a day when he will come again. And that you rule and you reign over all of this stuff, over the sicknesses of these folks that we have in front of us on our prayer list, over all of the struggles, over all of the bad news that is given to us during the week, even over the good news that is given to us, Lord, over the unsettledness of our hearts and over the joys of our hearts. 
the fact remains that you are sovereign. So as we go into your word this morning, Lord, help us to see that. Help us to understand that we will always struggle with these things, but we have an anchor in the storm, and we have a king who will not abandon us, who will not leave us. You have not forsaken us. In fact, you came looking for us. We didn't go looking for you. And that is something that we can take rest in, that we can take comfort in, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet lost, Christ died for us. He made the way, even when we weren't looking for the way. Help us because of that, Lord, now to be God's people for God's world. Help us to do the things that you call us to do in such a way that it causes those who don't know who Jesus is to just sit up and take notice. And in humility and with reverence for you, help us to have those hearts, Lord, that while angry and irritated with the unjustness of the things that are going on, but in humility and reverence for you, share the truth and the peace and the love of Jesus in a way that changes hearts. Holy Spirit, go before us in everything we do today and everything we do for this week. Open up your word now for us, and most especially open up our hearts that we may hear what you have to say and respond to what it is you teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I've entitled our message this week very simply, In Darkness When All Other Lights Go Out. And what I want us to look at is how it is we're to confront evil in the world while at the same time bringing honor to God because that's what the psalmist has been wrestling with here in this particular passage. And we also get to see some of the echoes and the foreshadowing of what happened in the New Testament because we have an example in Jesus as he comes face to face with evil in the garden and he comes face to face with the promises of God for the world and has a decision that he has to make in the midst of that. And in that, we have hope and we have encouragement. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien, some of you may have heard of him once or twice, in his trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, happens to be one of my all-time favorite books, series, ever written. I, mean, I, I think I shared with Rob Tuesday that that was the book that I had dived back into again this week just to kind of take a break from it all and just kind of read. But I don't even know how many times that I've read these books or watched the movies that they've made from the books Probably a nerd-worthy amount, I'm sure. Now, Lisa, a few years ago, when I made mention that I wanted some hardcover copies instead of the old rotten, musty paperback ones that you get from Bantam Books, you know, from school for $2.50, did her internet search and query, and, and she went looking high and low and gifted me two years ago with a complete set, hardcover, second edition, 1963, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, all three books in a box set with the maps, and she was also able to find a second edition hardcover with the maps and all of the original token drawings of The Hobbit. That was what I got for Christmas. Um, I am now currently going through, I think, the second reading of this particular set in the last couple years. So um, I am that nerd. It was a fine Christmas, and I don't really care what anybody thinks. <laughs> it is what it is. But there's a point... Toward the end of the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, for those of you who have any idea what I'm talking about, and I hope that you all do, if you don't, meet me after service and we will talk. 
where what is left of the fellowship finds themselves getting ready to leave the forest of Lorien, that elf kingdom. Each member of the fellowship receives something from the elf queen, Lady Galadriel. Now, if you've seen the movies, you'll understand what's going on. If you've read the books, you'll understand even deeper. Um, and coming to Frodo, the one who happens to bear the ring and bears the burden of carrying that one ring to Mount Doom in order to destroy it and wipe out the evil of Sauron for Middle-earth, she presents him with a very simple glass vial. And looking at him, and she says, and I'm quoting now, and to you, ring-bearer, she said, turning to Frodo, I come to you last, who are not last in my thoughts. For you I have prepared this. She held up a small crystal vial. It glittered as she moved it, and rays of white light sprayed from her hand. In this file, she said, is caught the light of Randiel's star, set amidst the waters of my fountain. It will shine bright when night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Remember Galadriel and her mirror, she emphasizes to him. Frodo took the file, and for a moment it shone between them. He saw her again standing like a queen, great and beautiful, but no longer terrible. He bowed, but found no words to say. Having found refuge in the safety of the elf kingdom of Lorien after the tragedy of losing Gandalf in that accident, or not so much of an accident, in the minds of Moria, the fellowship once again has to venture into the dark world of Middle-earth, away from the safety of the forest. Their task was to go into the heart of darkness in order to destroy darkness itself. Frodo needed comfort at that moment in time. He needed assurance and he needed a beacon, as it were, in all of that darkness to remind him that in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the chaos, there is always a light which shines in the darkness around us. We need only to remember it and then let it shine. And that's a powerful thing to remember. You see, the psalmist first this morning here continues in his celebration of God's word and his precepts with a proclamation very simply in 119.105. Your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's a critical thing for us to remember. There will be times when things seem utterly hopeless to us and where it would seem that darkness has completely taken over everything around us. We have those times and those seasons in our lives where the greatest challenge that we face as human beings during the day is our own uneasiness about life and our place within this world. That will be the greatest challenge sometimes we face. They are not simple things to wrestle through though, are they? Each one of us struggles with insecurities. Each one of us struggles with doubts and the thought of how will things turn out in the midst of all of the nonsense and the darkness that we see and the things that we struggle with. Will the changes that are happening and the choices that we make turn out okay for us or will they just be a big disaster? Getting verse 105 embedded into our hearts and into our minds is the only way that we can navigate forward into the dark places where it seems that the light has gone out. We have to understand that he lights our path. You see, Frodo Baggins, at this point in the story, had come to realize that the burden of destroying the one ring of power was his and his alone to bear. It was his task in time. It was what he was assigned to do. It wasn't something that he could avoid or pass on to somebody else. It had become all too real for him. It was his task in life. But he had lost a great friend in Gandalf in the minds of Moria because of a choice that he had made. He had decided to go through there. And it was a right choice for him to make, in fact, as he made the decision to travel through those mines of Moria in order to avoid all of the orcs and everything that was going on around. 
But he was struggling with the whole thing at this point. He'd lost his friend. Did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Did I choose the right path? All valid questions, all valuable questions. When things don't always go according to our plan or how we think they ought to turn out, guess what? We often struggle with the notion that perhaps we made the wrong decision or we made the wrong choice because they didn't work out the way we thought they should. And that's something that's always going to happen in life if we ever wish to be successful and if we ever wish to grow in anything. Whenever a risk is taken, whatever that risk may be, whenever a step of faith is taken in obedience to God because he's called you to do something, there is always the chance that we may end up like Paul and Silas in a pretty bad way in a dark, dank room somewhere singing praises to God. There's always that risk that we take. It's not a comforting thought, but a realistic one for a good many people in this world today. Perhaps not for us immediately, but it certainly is for a lot of people around this world. I find it interesting for us this week to see the wrestling out of what the psalmist knows to be true versus what he feels and what he sees. Let me say that again. He's wrestling out here what he knows to be true versus how it is he feels and what it is he sees going on. Life is not all peaches and cream. Just because he follows the Lord, it isn't always all about getting his own way and living in a perfect time and living in a perfect place with everything just right, just the way it's supposed to be. He's dealing with the reality that he is confronted with head on and in full view of what it looks like and perhaps even what it's going to cost him in order to step into what it is he's seeing he needs to do. And he tells us this, I've sworn an oath and I've confirmed it, to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Again, as I mentioned last week, God's word is what? It's our guidebook for living. It's here in this book that we find our instructions on what it is we're supposed to do. Our salvation in Christ alone and our plan for engaging those around us who don't know who Jesus is. The issue that seems a bit too clear here is that he's trying to reconcile the notion that he is suffering in the midst of his obedience. Seems to be what he's dealing with. I've sworn an oath, Lord, and I've even confirmed that oath with you. Your word has, and it's lighting my path everywhere I go. Yet, yet, I am severely afflicted. I don't understand it. This doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know just what this guy was dealing with because the scriptures give us absolutely no clue as to what's going on or what it may have been, except the fact that he is very deeply bothered with the lies and the falsehood that seem to be surrounding him in his life with the people that are all around him. A righteous man living in an unrighteous time among people who do not honor the Lord as they should be is very unsettling to people. Sounds eerily familiar to our day and age today. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Bible has no relevance in our day and age. It has so much relevance in our day and age that people avoid it because it's just too clear with what it says. And think about this for a minute. Why on earth do we as human beings today in 2016 get so upset and why is it we are so unsettled in this day? Because we have sworn an oath to God. We understand how things ought to work, and they're not working that way. When we accept Jesus, we think things are supposed to be a particular way, and we hope everybody else follows us down that path. 
And all of those things conflict with the world and its story that it continues to try and write and try and create before us. It becomes very unsettling in our hearts to see people running headlong into destruction and death, not seeming to give one little care about it at all. And we can just see it coming, like a train running down the tracks at 1,000 miles an hour, and nobody seems to be aware of what's going on. It should unsettle us. If it doesn't unsettle you, I think you really need to be in prayer before the Lord. It should unsettle us. But where do we go? We go to his word. We learned that last week. We go to his word. When everything else seems to be confusing, we go to his word. The difference that we must see here with our friend is the psalmist is that he doesn't take off after the external things that are going on. He doesn't take off after the cultural things or the worldly things that are going on. He doesn't look to those as a means by which to fix what he sees as broken. Nor does he, as many do so in our day, just simply reject God because things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. Or even blaming God that it's his fault if he even exists. No, we find him once again. We find the psalmist once again settling in, simply bringing praise to God in the midst of his struggle. He's not denying his pain. He's not denying the things that he's going through, but he's settling in in his praise before God in the midst of his struggle. And he does so with a request. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. In other words, what he's saying here is, don't let me forget who you are and who I really am, Lord, in the midst of this all. You see, when we forget who he is and when we forget why we're here, we grope around in the dark looking for a reason to be. We try to find something else to hope in and a way to fix the mess that's all around us. No, we can't be that way. We simply can't be that way as God's people. We have to be rooted deeply and firmly in his word. The psalmist wasn't as he says this, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. It's a beautiful verse. I hold I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. All the crazy that's happening and unsettling him will not keep him from remembering who God is and remembering God's law. In other words, what he's saying is, my life is mine, as he says. It's all mine, but I'm going to do with it what I should do, not what I want to do. And that to me is something we really should get a hold of. He knows that he can do whatever he wishes with his life. I hold my own life in my hand, but I am going to do with it what I should, not what I want. That's critical. Our lives don't belong to us. They simply don't belong to us. When we give them over to God in Jesus through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they then belong to him. When he works through us, things begin to change. Because that means we die to ourselves and then we begin to live for him and how it is we function and how it is we operate begins to look different. And I see this clearly played out for us in one of the most frightening moments in all of scripture and every one of the gospel writers capture this for us. We're gonna rest in Matthew because I just like how he describes the whole scene. Matthew tells us this on the very last night that they were with, we had Jesus and this is an extended passage so hear this. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and that would be John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now I know this is a familiar story, but let's just hear this. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me for one hour, dude? Really? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. That's what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus could have at any point in his life done things completely different. It's a truth that we have to realize and that we have to get a hands on. He told Peter at one point, if you remember, that all he had to do was just say, hey, Dad, send the armies. The whole world would have been toast at that point. No questions asked. But what did Jesus say? But it's written that it has to be this way. Don't you see the plan? The plan is this way. The plan wasn't that way. It never was that way. No, Jesus remembered the law. He knew he held his life in his own hands, but he also knew the law. Something or someone had to die to make things right, and Jesus knew it was him. Yep, my life is in my hands, Father. And what makes me the perfect Israelite, what makes me the perfect sacrifice, what makes me the Messiah, is that in remembering your law, I will freely give up my life from my hands into your hands, Father. Do with it as you will. That's what Jesus did. That's what the psalmist is wrestling through. This is what we need to learn to do each day as we work out our salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's in that light where verse 110 here stands out so brightly in the darkness where it says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. That just jumps right off the page at that point. Just because the world conspires against us, just because they get themselves all in a snit and they think that you know somebody's saying something that they shouldn't or whatever it may be, they get their dander up against the Lord. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not the Lord. It doesn't mean that God is now not in control because we don't like who holds a particular office. It doesn't mean that the Lord isn't sitting on his throne because somebody says, oh, you can't pray where I want you not to pray. God is still God. He is still completely in control. The crazy and the chaos of this world have absolutely zero bearing on who runs this universe. If we could but rest in that and understand that our lives don't belong to ourselves, but they belong to him. You see, even as Jesus had his path lit up for him by the word and by the promises of God all the way to the cross itself, God was still in absolute control. Everything was happening exactly the way it was supposed to happen. But from the outside looking in, what would your thought be? All is lost. That's not what's going on. This was the plan all along, and it still is. And I spoke to a good friend of mine this past week as I was driving into work. He lives in Nottingham, England. And we were talking about all that was going on in the world. And at that particular moment in time, the story had just broke on the London Wire about the priest in Normandy. I hadn't heard about it yet, and he'd asked. Um, where, well... 
a couple more people were killed right in the middle of a church service when people had snuck in the back door. It was just not a pleasant thing. Uh, just one more thing that we went to prayer on. And after hearing John, as his name, talk about this, I just simply said, and it was n- no way to make light, I said to him, and I don't want to make light of it before anybody here today, but I just said to him, you know what, John, we're exactly where the scriptures say we ought to be. We are exactly where the scriptures say we ought to be. It, it, apparently, this is what we want. I want you to remember that no matter how out of control and how evil this world gets, God is not out of control. God is 100% in control. 100% of the time. He is sovereign over every single affair of humanity. Even in the midst of all the chaos. So the question then gets to be asked, well, why on earth doesn't he do something about it? And I guess I get paid to answer that question. And it's a good question. But that's where you come in. You are active participants in God's plan and God's purpose. If we are to be God's people for God's world, we have to take what we learn here. We have to take what we know. We have to take what we read, what God has stored up in our hearts. We have to let it light our paths. And we have to take it from our brain, our heart, and our mouths and put it in our feet and our hands. We have work to do. You see, the psalmist continues in verses 111 and 112. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. But it doesn't end there. I incline my heart to what? Snooze on your precepts? Write about your precepts? Think about your precepts? I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Action. Once he learned what needed to be done, didn't matter what the cost, I have work to do. I'm going to be God's person for this time in whatever situation he puts me in. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. My songs in the place of my sojourning. These are all words from this psalm. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. My songs in the place of my sojourning. Paul and Silas in prison. Why were they doing what they were doing? This is why. Jesus in Gethsemane, showing his very, very human side being betrayed by his friends and marched to the cross for us. You and I, in the midst of all of the chaos that we deal with every single day, we have work to do. We weren't called to Jesus to sit. We were called to Jesus to go. It's not our task in time to pray that God would take us away from this rotten and awful place. It's not our task. It wasn't the psalmist's tasks. It wasn't Jesus' task. It wasn't our task. No, we are to be a light in the darkness when all other lights go out that's difficult I'm not going to tell you here today that that's going to be an easy thing to do I get to come back here tomorrow you have to go out into the real world as it were and figure out how to make this work and engage a person over a cup of coffee who doesn't believe a whit of what you say who doesn't think at all that what you believe is even true how do you engage that person how do you talk with that person So I'm prayerful. We have work to do. You see, Frodo Baggins was assigned his task as well. There's a passage in the book where he's confronted with the truth that Galadriel's mirror, and that's why she was so adamant about remember the mirror. Remember the mirror. Because at that mirror, he realized that this task has been assigned to you, Frodo of the Shire, is what the book says. If you do not do it, no one will. Each one of us 
has a task. Our prayer is, what is it, Lord? And what are we supposed to do? And help me do it. We can't do everything for everybody, but we can do something for someone. Sometimes that just means being a great grandma, a great grandpa, or a great mom, or a great dad, or the best employee you can be. Sometimes that's the beginning of it, and that's the end of it. You bring glory to God in everything you do. In the middle of all that's going on in your world is your heart inclined to perform his statutes. So if I'm going to go hang a window for somebody, am I pouring everything I've got into hanging that window to the glory of God? So that people say, hey, look at that kind of weirdo, wackadoodle guy over there. It's a little bit different. And not in a bad way. I'm going to ask him what's going on. Gives you the opportunity. When you hear his voice, will you step up and step out? Move away from your comfort and step into the battle? Whatever it is the Lord gives you for this particular day to deal with? You see, Jesus is our great example of how it is we're to live. We're to live sacrificially and we're to live obediently. Now, I don't know what that looks like for each and every one of you here. I know what it looks like for me. I'm prayerful that you're prayerful to ask the Lord what it looks like for you. We are to live obediently and we are to live sacrificially, including or inclining our hearts to perform God's statutes forever. That's really what our goal is. He knew that one of his closest friends would betray him, did he not? Yet he picked him anyway. Think about that. That's how much in control God is. I'm going to pick a dude who I know is going to turn me in and I'm going to die as a result of him turning me in. Judas, come with me. That's how in control God is. Never deviating from the plan. He knew that all of his followers would scatter and leave him standing alone. He knew it. He told him. Why? Because of God's statutes. Because God's word said so because he had it stored up in his heart and he knew. So when he set his face like flint, as the King James says, towards Jerusalem, wasn't a problem. Why? Because he knew. He knew at the end of the day when he marched to Jerusalem that it would be the end of days for him as a man. And he did it anyway. Why? Because it was established in God's word from the beginning of time. And he had faith and trust in the king of the universe, his father in heaven, that he would be all right. It was no accident. Jesus didn't stumble in the dark at any point trying to figure out just what he was to do. He knew what he was to do. Without a doubt, God's word guided his every single step. It lit every path he ever went down. It directed him step by step. He was and is, as we learned last week, the word. Now, the frightening thing that we discover is that in the garden, in his honesty, he told his father that he really didn't want to do it. There's his opening. Is there another way we can do this? Is there another way we can do it? If it's possible, just let this cup pass for me. That right there is his humanity shining through for us. So he didn't hover two inches above the ground and we can never think that we can do what Jesus did. No, he functioned fully as a man, struggled just like we do and yet was the perfect Israelite. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that's why it is he can relate to us and we can relate to him in such a deep way. And it's why the writer of the Hebrews tells us this, that we have a high priest who absolutely gets it. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, do we? No. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, the psalmist understood this. He drew near to the throne of God because he knew that it was there that he would get the help that he needed, the strength that he needed, and the light that he would need in his despair, in his struggle against himself, and against the darkness that was surrounding him. He hated falsehood. And he hated the wickedness that was closing in around him. Yet he praised God in the midst of all of that. Can we do that? Can we put our head on our pillow at night, not having all the answers for tomorrow? And say, you know what, Lord? I know that you got this. I don't know how this year's going to end, but I know that you got it. Can we stand on those promises? These are all the questions that I would have to ask myself. I want to challenge you with, can you be the light in darkness when all the lights go out? Sometimes that means just for yourself. Sometimes you just get so sideways with your fear and your thinking that you have to just grasp on to the word of God as tight as you can because you end up being that light because the word begins to speak in your heart and it begins to remind you in your brain, you know what? My God's got this. Can you be that light in that dark place? Can you stand on the word of God even when it just seems like it's just not? You see, here's the sad thing. Anyone who's read Tolkien's trilogies will know that Frodo made it to Mount Doom to destroy the ring. I don't think I'm letting the cat out of the bag here at this point. But it was at great cost to Frodo Baggins because he would never be the same. With all of the things that happened on that trip, nothing would ever be the same for Frodo again. Ultimately, it cost him his life as he knew it. He making, in his making the decision to go meant you can never go back. And making the decision to go means you can never go back. Frodo realized that upon his return to the Shire, he was no longer the quiet and contented hobbit who left with the ring some 16 months prior. When the truth of God and his word grab a hold of us in ways that it has never done before, I promise you, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. We cannot go back to the way things were. Ultimate peace and contentment is found only in obedience to the word of God. It's in the performing of his precepts and affecting change within our culture that we live in by being that light sometimes as uncomfortable as it makes us feel. Our lives lived out before the world in accordance with God's word. We declare in no uncertain terms to every king who's in power, to every prince who's in power, and to all those authority here and in the high places of heaven that guess what? Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead, is still sitting on the throne. Unchanged, unchanging, and waiting to come back. If I could have the worship team, please. I just want to leave you with these simple thoughts and then we're going to go into prayer. See, I challenge you to get into the word and then I felt convicted that I'm challenging people to do some stuff and I'm not sure that everybody knows exactly what to do or where to start. Go open the book. You open the book and it's like, wow, there's a whole bunch of books inside this book. (laughs) It's kind of like a giant library book. I don't know where to start. 
You get some names in here I don't even understand. They make no sense to me. Where's the story? What, does it make any sense? Do I start here? Do I start there? I want to challenge you this week. Shirley, wonderful lady sitting right over there, provides us with these. These are one of the best things that you can grab onto. If you're, you know, technologically savvy, you can get the app for free. But if you're not and you just like the paper copy, we have them in the back of the church. This is a daily devotional. Gives you a, a reading plan that you can follow every day. It gives you scriptures to read. It gives you a short devotional and helps you understand a text of scripture each day. Start here if you're not sure where to start. Start here. It's a great place to be. There's tons of other devotionals online, I'm sure, but I've always found that our daily bread and the YouVersion Bible have great devotions. That's where I would start. I would also tell you, start. (laughs) Full stop. Start. Open up your Bible. Get into reading it. And ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. If you're doing that already, great. Do it more. If you're not doing that, I want to challenge you. Carve out time during your day to get before the Lord. The only easiness, the only settledness, the only comfort you will ever find in the chaos that we live in is if we get ourselves into his word. And if we ask him, help me, Lord. I'm concerned. I'm confused. I'm frightened. I don't know what's going on. Help me. Begin to pray that prayer. Let's all stand. Father, it seems every single day we've got one more thing that we need to concern ourselves with and one more thing that this world throws at us. One more shooting, one more bombing. And yet at the same time, there is hope in this world. There is always that glimmer of hope that stands up where you see a kind act done. One of the things that's in my heart this morning, Lord, that I want to challenge each and every one of us here today, in the midst of all of the nonsense that goes on, challenge each and every one of us each day to find something good. A simple act of kindness that we can either do or that we see somebody else doing that we can celebrate good things that go on in this world that bring glory to you and and exalt the image bearer humanity to the place that you desire us to be where we care for one another where we love one another where we minister to one another help us to pray in that way becoming God's people for your world I just want to challenge us in this last way Father Stir all of our hearts that when we become so anxious about the things that are going on, when we become so worn down with all of the nonsense that we see on the news and that we read in the papers every single day, remind us of your word. Your word that settles us. You've lighted our path. You have shown us the way. Remind us and help us to understand that we can put all that garbage aside. We don't have to live in that chaos. When we become so stressed out and so anxious, Lord, and I, myself included, I pray this for, that we would just step back and maybe take a walk and just talk to you. Recenter us around our King. For you never change. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in need of prayer, there's people around this sanctuary. I encourage you to step out and just share with these folks.
Jake, Melissa. not a normal benediction as it were I want to leave you with this verse it's a familiar one that we have but I want you to rest in this I want you to store this in your heart it's from Paul's letter to the Ephesians it's the second chapter it's the tenth verse and it says very simply that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them so I want to read that one more time you are his workmanship or better translated you are his poem you are his artwork created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them Father I pray that as we step out of here today that we would take what it is we've learned, we would store it in our hearts and in our minds. And that we would recall to mind this week that we are your artwork, we are your poem, we are your workmanship, that you have created us in Christ and you have given us things to do. And you have said, go forth my daughter, go forth my son and walk in those things. Speak to our hearts on what those are this week that we would be faithful to every single thing you call us to do in order that we may be a light in a dark place when all other lights go out, that the light of Christ would shine in this world in ways that it hasn't and that it needs to. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.